What's up, everybody? This is Studio Wesley Annex. I'm your host, Michael Yarrick. I am not Derek Scott III. He will be back very soon, I promise. Uh, Studio Wesley Annex is our podcast show. You can picture this as just a bunch of people sitting in the back of the church spitballing over what these scriptures could possibly mean. Uh, I am with some of my friends from Studio Wesley. Uh, Allison, how are you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm a little tired, but I made it, so... We're so grateful that you're here, is what Derek would say. I'm also grateful that you're here, but I'm doing my best Derek impression right now. Uh, Sydney, how are you from Atlanta? I am good. It's a beautiful day. The weather is great here, and I had pizza for lunch, so I'm well fed. I've been craving pizza for an incredibly long time, and I have not satisfied that craving yet. Brooke, how are you? That sounded like a confession. Um yeah, I am in the in the annex cinematic universe. A week ago, I was feeling sick, um, but in real time, that was yesterday. Um, so I'm slightly less sick than I was last episode. So Aww. we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, we're, I'm fine. we're even even when Brooks like not on her game because she's sick, she still brings everything. Aww, as Projected by last week's episode that was not only filmed just yesterday. Uh, okay, I'm going to open us up in prayer. Uh, dear God, thank you for letting us come here together with this special group of people um, to go over these specific texts. Uh, help us come to terms with what these things mean and what you're trying to tell us for our communities and whoever listens to these words and receives them. Uh, in Jesus' name. And this actually starts off with me this time. So you just get to hear a bunch of talking from me up front. Uh, I am going through Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. Uh, I'm going to read a chunk of this. Uh, it says, uh, verse 8 through 11 says, Because although you were once the personification of darkness, you are now light in the Lord. So act like children of the light for the fruit of of the light is all that is good, right, and true. Make it your aim to learn what pleases our Lord. Don't get involved with the fruitless works of darkness. Instead, expose them to the light of God. So the first thing that I just like had to write down was that I love the wording, at least in my translation, which is the voice translation, the children of the light, because it sounds very much like a superhero group, the children of the light. I may also be thinking of Children of the Corn, but that's a totally different story. Uh, so yeah, it feels like this sort of superhero sort of moniker, and I'm going to lean into that. What is the identity of the superhero? What does it look like to become Children of the Light? And that's not to say that it's some sort of secret group that, is, uh, that isn't taking in new people. Everyone can be part of the Children of the Light, uh, but what does that look like? Uh, we're given the instructions in these verses as uh, making it our aim to learn what pleases our Lord. To not get lost in pointless works of darkness, but to expose that darkness to the light of God. Um, so, and what I think this is saying, um, I'm. it's like a direct statement to me that God belongs where the darkness is. So I'm just thinking of like, you don't use a flashlight where there is already light. Like there's no need for the flashlight. You use a flashlight where the darkness is. So to me, this is like a very clear statement saying that like, God, and more importantly, God through us, us shining a light, us shining positivity, and just 
God's beauty to the world through grace and, and everything that like belongs in places where the shadows fall the most, like the light of God belongs where the darkness is. Um, and that doesn't give us permission as like Christ followers to like judge people or to say like, I know where the darkness falls. This is my own, like some sort of spiritual high ground. I think the better response is to just be the shining light wherever you can. Not, um, I would actually argue that the only place we don't need the, the the shining of the light is in church because that's the place where there's the most like concentration of light already existing. So that's where we get to, you know, not have to be on all the time. That's a totally different conversation. I'm straying. Uh, going back to this idea of our identities as children of the light, um, I do think that holds so much power. The the heart posture and the love of God shining through us in like. To me, that means in everything, in the most simple of tasks. Um, that's what I think God is talking about here. So like checking in with people, laughing with people, be, showing positivity, showing up for other people, giving other people's a, people a platform. Uh, if you know me, you know it's no surprise that I'm a, I'm a theater person. And I think of the phrase that we always say, which is like, find your light, which is like on stage, find the places where there are pools of light on stage and like, be there so that other people can can see that right um and the thing the kind of thing the layer that i think that imagery adds to this is like it's the job of the more experienced theater performers to kind of guide the new actors the, the people that haven't done this as much to where the light is on stage it's kind of this team sport so it's people who are more experienced in this like light of jesus and the children of the light who've been children of the light longer it's like their job to like look at the bigger picture, the larger narrative, the bigger story, and it's hindered on all of us being able to find the light on stage and be present so that everybody can see everything. Um, and yeah, just what is what does that light look like? I think it can be done in the simplest of ways. I don't think it has to be this sort of desperate attempt to proselytize to people. I think so many people can see God and God's light in us just by us doing the simplest acts of kindness as far as like listening to people, showing up for people, showing an interest in people and uh, recognizing uh, who they are. Not from a place of superiority. I'll say that once again, but from a place of love and care. And I'll uh, end it there. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, I, um, yeah, I, I like, I was sitting with this kind of beforehand a little bit about this. Like we get this imagery a lot, I think throughout the Bible of like light. I think you did a really good job about kind of fleshing out kind of what this could mean for us to like be light. Um, and yeah, I think like you, I think you pointed out like one thing you mentioned was like stage lighting and like, like drawing attention to the things that like, you want to see or whatever and I think that that's something I think I haven't really thought about before as not only light being like the thing but like like for example a um like a beacon like a a light in the distance for like what, what do you call those like a, a for the boats and stuff what's that word the, light, know, wait, the lighthouse the lighthouse? Not lighthouse yeah right like like a lighthouse, right? Like it, the light isn't only light for like, say like as a lighthouse, like the thing you're supposed to be seeing, the thing that's guiding, but a light is also supposed to draw your attention to other things. And I think I've been thinking a lot lately about like 
kind of like interdependence um, amongst community and like how I think something that we really should be doing is not only bringing our gifts, but also outsourcing other people's gifts and like shining lights on like other people around us, the things that they have to offer and the things that the ways they can support us. Like being here in Atlanta, I've had, you know, I've, I haven't been living here a year yet. And I can't tell you how grateful I've been to have friends who have anytime I've mentioned like, Oh, I miss painting. I miss dancing. I want to go to a park who have been like, I have this friend who teaches a class or I have this person who, or I need to introduce you to my friend. And that has just like made all the difference to me. Like that's being a light, like that's shining on their friends. And they're like, you know, I got a connection for you. I have a support for you. And so, yeah, I, um, I, I think that's a really beautiful way of looking at it. Yeah. And then I also, I mean, kind of all of what Sydney just said, but then this addition of like, um, I really appreciate how when talking about the text, you kind of just pulled out that like concept of light and how it translates to like acts of kindness. Um, just because there's like that whole, like, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Rachel's challenge, but like she's um, somebody who passed away during Columbine. Um, and after she passed away, like her family found all these things of like, of kind of similar stuff to that. And like one of the things she had written was like, I believe in one small act of kindness could cause a chain reaction of the same. And that's just kind of like where my brain went when you were kind of explaining like, the way that the Bible is talking about light and how that translates to acts of kindness and, you know, applying it to like all those real life circumstances and the people in your lives and reaching out and all the things. So. Yeah, I've been thinking, um, not this is unusual for me, but I've been thinking especially about the darkness in the world um, during Epiphany, I thought a lot about how, like, shining light and exposing things to light, um, how that's really powerful and that can be really hard. Um, so thinking about hearing stories of people who've been harmed by the church and how it's um, it's really uncomfortable for the church to reckon with the truth of that and to come to terms with the difficulty of that. And yet, it's so powerful and so healing to know those truths and to say those truths. But lately in Lent, I've been doing things like watching The Last of Us. Um, so <laughs> I'm thinking a lot about um, how um, how dark we can be, how um, broken we can be, um, how like how how fallen I get, like how, how bad things can be. Um, but I, I continue to maintain that idea that, um, well, I actually, I actually had a moment last night. I was reading a book about, um, you know, violence, um, violence and trauma that this woman had experienced. Um, it was a memoir and just thinking about the depth of that and in the middle of thinking about that um, and just feeling overwhelmed by the darkness, by the hatred, by the cruelty, by the different forces that mount against us in these hard ways. I, I was thinking about how to me that just increases my dependence on God and just believing that whatever this is, 
I believe this is what God isn't, whatever this is. I believe that, like, I can't see a way out, but God can. Um, so for me, I've really been thinking about not only seeing those dark places, but then that that giving me appreciation for God is so much more and God is big enough to to end all of this in God's way. Um, and yeah, I <laughs> I hope that relates a little. <laughs> yeah, like the light, the dark. Um, but I, I really, I really appreciate your reflection, Mike. That was beautiful. Thank you. My favorite, my favorite part about doing these episodes is like, I can say something that's so like, I'm so insecure about and so thrown together. And then everybody like builds upon it in these beautifully intelligent ways that make my little words so much. Yes. Anyways, you guys are awesome. Thank you. Uh, okay. Sydney's going to take it away with first Samuel. Now the old Testament text. Sydney, are you ready? Yeah. Take it away. All right. So um, I will be giving you a little reflection on 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. I read it in CEB. Um, I actually also read it in The Voice, but um, that's neither here nor there. Um, so... I think it's funny that I was given the Old Testament scripture because I I have so many question marks when I'm reading the Old Testament. I feel like everyone does, but um, basically what we get here is um, we're kind of dropped in the middle of this story um, with Samuel being sad that um, Saul, who had been um, anointed as the king of Israel, God basically changed his mind and was like, never mind, Saul's not the one. He's not following my commands. And so he you need to fire him, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, and so Samuel sat about this. And then God, and I, you know, and I'll talk later, but I have so many question marks around God's behavior. He just feels real harsh to me in this chapter. But God's like, why are you so upset? This is obviously my my version here. I'm just kind of paraphrasing, but God's like, why are you so upset? You know, you got to find a new king. And Samuel's like, but Saul's going to kill me if I find someone else. Um, and God's like, basically just rushes over that. And is just like, well, you need to go find this guy, Jesse, um, Jesse of Bethlehem. And you need to make a sacrifice with him to me. And then I'm going to, like, basically make it clear to you which one of his sons is going to be, like, the next king. And so that's what Samuel does. He goes, meets this guy. Jesse brings all his sons. And, of course, at first, um, Samuel sees the eldest son and is like, that looks like, that looks like a king. Um, and God's like, no. Um, I actually will read that verse. That's verse seven um, or six and seven. When, when they arrived, Samuel looked at Eliab. That's my best guess at how to pronounce that. Eliab. And thought that must be the Lord's anointed right in front. Uh, but the Lord said to Samuel, have no regard for his appearance or stature because I haven't selected him. God doesn't look at 
things like humans do. Humans see only what is visible to the eyes, but the Lord sees in the heart. Okay, and so then basically the story wraps up with um, the youngest son, David, King David, gets anointed as the king, um, which was like the most unexpected pick, I guess, of all the sons. And so um, I have so many questions around God's like handling of the situation, or I guess our interpretation of God's handling in the situation, especially when you read back to chapter 15 and why it was that Saul was, um, God decided Saul wasn't meant to be king anymore. Um, there's always this kind of like overarching violence in the Old Testament that it feels very like unsettling to me, but I do like this verse seven here um because it feels like something very consistent throughout the bible is this idea that like god is very always kind of for the underdog and for like anointing the people who we least expect to do the really big things um and to like lead. Um, and I relate to that. I think that there have been times where, where I've been kind of tasked with leading things that I feel completely unqualified to do. And, um, I, so over the weekend, I, um, went to this music festival that was put on by, so it here in Atlanta, I guess I'm going to try and like wrap this all up in a way that's quick but here in Atlanta there's this kind of big movement happening right now um where these people called the forest defenders are leading this movement to protect this specific forest that is close to this like a predominantly black neighborhood um and that basically the cops are trying to build a huge training facility it's like a fake neighborhood so that they can basically train like raids and stuff. And so anyways, these people are defending this forest. They're literally living in the forest and stopping it from um, getting torn down. And so all this week, they're calling it their week of action and they're having all these events in the forest to kind of like bring attention to the stuff they're doing. And so over the weekend, I was at this music festival, which honestly you might've seen in the news because it ended kind of chaotically. But before it ended, um, it was a really beautiful experience. Um, It was free and it was literally just a field of a bunch of people and a bunch of artists who had come to play for free. And anyways, I'm telling you this because I had this moment when I was at this festival where I was kind of like looking around. Obviously, I didn't know a lot of people because I'm new to Atlanta and was just surrounded by like young people, queer people, black people, trans people, just like surrounded by uh, people that like live at the margins in our society who have kind of like dedicated themselves to this like movement. Um, And we were all singing and dancing. And I just, I was just overcome with this feeling of like, I, you know, if I had been asked when I was younger to pick out the people who I felt like were doing God's work, 
um, those are not the people I wouldn't, I would have selected, right? I wouldn't pick the people, the alt people, um, the people, the gender non-conforming people, right? I wouldn't, these are the people that I think we were given to picture when we think of the people leading God's movement. And so I think that this piece of wisdom right here, um, that like, not to like judge people based on how they look, right? It's like simple. It's so simple, but it's so much more than that because that's what we do. That's what we, that's what our brains do is we look at people and we decide um, where we think they fit into this plot, into the story. And I'm literally, what I'm giving you today is just like challenge that um, and follow the people who are living at the margins because I believe wholeheartedly that the people who should be leading us are the black trans women and are the people who um, who just see what we don't see and know what we don't know. And these are the people that are the prophets and these are the people who should be leading us in the movement. And so I hope that all makes sense. I hope that that was a good reflection on the scripture. But yes, I would love to know y'all's thoughts. Yeah, I... Um... I think it's one of those things I'm just going to be thinking about that for a while, but I really appreciate you sharing that, Sydney. Um, I also, you know, I looked up the uh, the music festival while you were talking, and it's so, you know, even from, like, ABC News, like, they're talking about, like, the police said this, the police said this. Like, they're giving the full police perspective, but <laughs> I'm like, I um but no, I um, met, I love images and the image that you gave to me of your story um, being at that music festival is so meaningful and I'll definitely be carrying that with me. Yeah, I don't know if I have any like, I need processing time on that one. Um, but I do like, just want to name a couple of things I do appreciate of just kind of what you said. One, unrelated to the text, but in the beginning you were like, I have so many question marks when it's related to the Old Testament. And I was like, I've never wanted to unmute myself more in the middle of this and, and say like me too than I did in that moment. I was like, thank you. Um, but also it's kind of what Brooke was saying, but just like the imagery you put there. And then also, I can't remember exactly what you said, but sometime towards the end, you said something like, how all the people fit into the plot of the story or something like that. Um, and I loved kind of the imagery that I in my head pulled from that, like from hearing you kind of explain everything and then taking that into context and like kind of envisioning it myself after everything. And I just thought that was really beautiful too. So. I, I, I don't know the context of this, of this like whole scripture at all, but you, you had mentioned the moment where, where, God just kind of like glances. He's like, "Well, he's gonna kill me." And God's just like, "Right, right, right. Just but do this thing." And and I I I just love that in context of where you took this scripture, which is like, it's like it's not about you. It's not about you right now. Like it's about this other person we're gonna focus on, and they're not the person that you think they're gonna be. But it's not about you. Like, but they're gonna kill me. I, right, 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 great, great, great. We'll talk about that later. This is like what we're focusing on, and I just think that's so cool, especially in how how it like ties to what you were saying about about the the Ephesians chapter, which is like shining a light on other people. I just think that's, I, I just, I we love it when it all comes together, and so early in the episode. Uh, but for now, we're gonna take a quick break, <laughs> so we'll be right back.
And we're back. And taking us right out of the break is going to be Allison with Psalms 23. Allison, are you ready? As ready as I'll be. Let's do it. You know, there's always like a split second where I forget. Like, I know that I was next and I still didn't really fully know I was next. Um, Yeah. So I, when reading this one, I feel like Psalm 23 is supposed to be like light and good and all the things within my brain just like didn't take it that way for some reason. Um, So like what I get out of it is a lot of that like generic, like, you know, God is with you. God is present. You know, God will guide you. Like have faith everything will work out all of those like cliches it's kind of like how it reads to me um like verse four specifically is like kind of what i pulled out um even when i work through the dark even when i walk through the darkest valley i fear no danger because you are with me your rod and your staff they protect me i can't read my own handwriting um and so like my brain's like it's supposed to be so like lighthearted and here's all the you know god is with you the good things but then my brain's also like feels like this verse is like sort of a lie in a way that like it does. I feel, I feel like it reads like it's easier to do that than it is. Um, like I feel like it leaves out that like um, it, it leaves out like the fact that like everybody's like spectrum of like their faith journey is different. You know, we all get to certain places at different times. Um, you know, we all have bad days. We all interpret those bad days differently. And so I feel like when you read a verse like this, and like if you're you're going through a hard time, you feel like it's hard to like read it and then be like yeah, God is with me. This is great. Like I, it's, I think there's that, like, I think it forgets. I'm not even reading my notes. So now I'm just rambling, but I think there's like this moment of like, you might read it and think, well, why is this easy for everyone else? Why when they're having a bad day, can they still trust that God's going to like do the thing and it'll be okay. Um, And so I feel like it's supposed to be so lighthearted. And then I was reading it and I was like, but it's not that easy. Um, and I don't know if any of that made sense, but those are just like my general thoughts on the verse itself. Dude, I feel that way about every single like verse Bible, anything that was turned into a song in, from between the nineties and the two thousands. So this is that like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Like any song that was turned into any biblical text that was turned into a song in the nineties to two thousands. I'm like, yeah, this is way, way more happy than it should be. Um, So I, I one time heard, I don't remember who it was. It might've been Derek that actually told me this, which, which was that like the book of Psalms is kind of this like, not frame, maybe like some, some, some sort of framework for like, how we worship or it brings in a lot of questions about how we worship and what worship should look like. And I, and Allison, I like that, that you're like calling that out for what it is, because I almost wonder if that, that, that can be the, the rule or the thing we gain out of this scripture when it comes to how, like what worship looks like and what it means to worship is that like, maybe there is an element of this, like fake it till you make it sort of thing that we're trying to go for of like, if we just like, overwhelm ourselves with positivity with this like light in the darkness sort of mentality that eventually we we have created the posture for our hearts to kind of live in that um especially because i think in the same way that like if we're constantly speaking negative negativity then like we naturally find ourselves like kind of going downhill i'm like wondering if maybe some of these psalms that feel so overly annoyingly like optimistic are trying to do the same thing in reverse of so like 
the more we like praise in this positive way, maybe we don't feel it right away, but the more we do it, maybe we're like setting our hearts up to like just naturally feel happier. So that that's what I wanted to throw in there. Yes. Yes. I actually want to just like echo what you said, Allison, and what you said, Mike, like I kind of said this already in the last episode I was in, but well, and Derek also chimed in with this kind of bit of wisdom um, that like the Psalms are kind of like the inner world. And so they're not necessarily uh, like always speaking to this like objective reality but like the inner feelings of like somebody who's like on the journey and so like sometimes we get these psalms like this that are like so confident in like god as a protector and a leader and um and then sometimes we get these psalms that are like you hate me i'm a sinner i you know what i mean like we get these kind of like and like that's just like real and i like honestly okay i have a lot of friends now who are like spiritual and who believe in things like manifestation and da, da 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 and I'm always listening and learning and um I don't necessarily believe in that but that's kind of a separate thing but there is something about it there's something about speaking something into like your posture and like showing up with a posture to like receive something if that makes sense and like positioning yourself and your actions in a way to like receive something that I've felt quite like inspired by and been trying to like learn from. Um, and I think that this is a good example of that, of like Psalms like this can either feel really relatable in times when like we feel that we feel like, yeah, God is on our side. God is keeping me at peace. God is keeping me safe walking with me through the hard times. But even in times when we don't feel that way, where we feel the exact opposite, I think these Psalms can serve as kind of a cool, like, okay, how can I like almost use this as like a posture of like how I would maybe like to feel or, or what can I learn from that? Or, um, I don't know, like it doesn't always have to be speaking to this like objective reality that like, good things will always happen to me. Cause that's just not true. And we all know that's not true. Um, so how can these be tools to help us coping with the fact that that's not true? You know, I don't know. I don't know if this is, I'm like not quite feeling the same energy that I felt around the Joseph conversation in December, but I, um, I mentioned this before. I really don't like the Psalms. I don't like the Psalms. I understand why, um, you know, on college campuses, they'll give you like the Bible with the gospels and the Psalms. I'm like, why, why, <laughs> why are you doing this? Um, yeah. Cause it, now it can be affirming if I'm like flipping through the Bible and I find words that like match what I'm feeling that can be really affirming, but just, you know, going through the like, everything is terrible. God hates me. Everything is great. God loves me. Like, I have no idea what's going on at any point in the Psalms. It's just, um, yeah, I go on. Um, I, I think this is kind of like weird, um, in a way because I, I think people perceive, perceive me as a really positive person. 
I don't know. Sydney, you know the truth about me. Sydney, Sydney, um, Sydney said things before, like, um, I, like, I remember in, we were having an event in 2020, at the end of 2020, and I was like, I just hope I remember, like, the pain of this year, and Sydney was like, that's the most broke thing you've ever said, um, <laughs> no, but I, um, I think people, I think I'm a person, because, like, um, I was talking to a Candler admissions person today, and we were talking about, like, are you a morning person, because I guess that's, like, at the phase we're at with the admissions thing, I was like, no, like, I am a morning person, like, I just show up to meetings, and I'm like, I'm, I'm just so happy to be alive, and everyone else is like, I don't feel that way, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I, I think the world is, like, bright and wonderful and beautiful, um, but to me, it's really important to always acknowledge, like, there is light, and there's shadow, um, there is light and there's stuff that's not that, um, or the way I picture like light and darkness, that's kind of weird. I picture it like light, um, light for me is like color, like vibrancy. And then what I describe as like bad is like the thing that takes away the color. Like it's like trying to swallow up all of the vibrant things, um, to me, like, there has to be the beauty, but there also has to be acknowledgement that there's something else there. Um, I'm so glad that you talked about that, Mike, with the songs that are, like, so happy about everything. It, I, I think I've talked about this before, too. But I hate it when people, um, as someone who grew up Catholic, I hate it when people, like, sing happy songs about Jesus's blood. Um Because I just, like, it's so deep, you know? Like, I don't want people singing about my blood. You know, I don't know. I think blood is, like, a personal thing. And, like, Jesus was, like, bleeding painfully. I don't know. Um, but I think that both of those things are important <laughs> with the... Uh... Yeah, thank thank everybody for that. Um, I, I, I think we're going to have to pitch to Derek some... Uh, a bonus episode where everybody like proposes their own version of the smaller Bible. Like instead of the new Testament and Psalms, everybody like pitches their own argument for what they, which books they think should be included in the, like the little Bible that we would hand out to people. Uh, I would love to be a part of that debate. I have told y'all, I guess I'm jumping in like, no, and I'm not really saying like, I'm going, I'm going to like, grad school so I can learn how to not have this opinion like I've read the last line of revelation but I am fine like I can do that as a full-time job just like editing out the parts of the bible that I'm like oh I don't need that <laughs> okay I didn't say <laughs> I mean like let's like they've been doing that all throughout history so it's like, like we're not the first one yeah right yeah. Exactly. So, yeah some of it's just like the song again I can find psalm 22 we can keep that one. The rest of them? Huh. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Speaking of selecting very specific portions of the Bible and talking about those and those alone, Brooke's going to talk to us about John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41 with our gospel text. Brooke, take it away. Okay. So I'm going to, the first thing that we go up to is, it's called A Man Born Blind receive sight. 
And I'm, I'm trying to think of how I can say this in like a condensed way. And I haven't been in college in like five years. But I, when I was in college, I was really passionate about disability studies, which is the idea of thinking about um, the disabled experience and how um, society, mostly society, like doesn't help us um, to be in disability, like society disables people, this is disability studies. And on my second day of disability studies class, which was like one of my favorite classes ever, the professor pulls out the beginning of this verse, of this chapter. I'll read it to you. Um, as he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was blind, born blind, so that God's works might be revealed in him. Um, and then Jesus says some other stuff. Um, and so, like, I'm kind of confused about how to read this because I used to read this as empowering, right? Like, I used to read this as, um, and, like, I am, this is not what happens in the text, right? But when I used to read this, um, just, like, as a disabled person, <laughs> like, as a neurodivergent person, um, to me, what I was hearing Jesus say is, like, People want to say that it's this man's fault that he's different, but like really, it's not his fault. It's not his parents' fault, and he he is like this so that like God's works can shine through him. And I don't know. I think it was. I think they had a problem with that because it's this idea of his disability being used and. Um, his disability being, like, levered in a certain way um, to continue Jesus's story. Um, the way I also think of it, when Jesus said, like, so that the works of God might be revealed through him, um, to me when I was younger, how I thought of that was, like, as a person, like, <laughs> My experience of having disabilities um, and being neurodivergent is that um, I often feel like my existence is like, um, this is deep. <laughs> my existence is like a test for people's kindness, right? So, um, and there's ways that this isn't true, right? And I think um, there's a lot of marginalized people who can have this experience. But, like, if someone has it in them to be kind, then, like, they'll be kind to me. But if someone has it in them to be mean, um, because I'm different, I'm a person that I think it's easy. <laughs> it can be easy to be mean to me without consequence, <laughs> like, to just, like, let that out. Um, and so, like, this doesn't have to do with what actually happens. But I read it as like the work of God and the work of people's hearts um, is like acted out on disabled people, on neurodivergent people. Um, because like we sort of, um, like I always say that like, I've always felt like my cross to bear is just like being myself and existing in this world because like it's, 
existing as I am is just like constantly testing people. And, um, and a lot of hatred can come out when that happens. Um, but I also, I am also thinking like in the broader context of this passage, I think that's kind of true as well. Like this man and the way that he was ostracized from his community is a test of his community and the ways that they did not value him and did not live up to, to the commandment that God had for them. Um, and I think that God choosing Jesus choosing to heal him and choosing to make him well, <laughs> despite the way that people treated him um, is a testament to the way that Jesus, Jesus does not blame our disabilities on us. And Jesus recognizes that like the problem isn't with you or your heart for being a disabled person. The problem, the problem is with society for ostracizing you for making this difficult. That's the problem. Um, yeah, thank you all for hearing that. <laughs> that was kind of a lot. Um, but I appreciate y'all hearing that. Um, I also want to draw attention to, and there's this is such a long passage, and there's so much interesting in it. Um, afterwards, the Pharisees are like, who did this? And the guy, of course, is like, Jesus, you know? Um, and they go to his parents, and they're like, who, um, is this your son? <laughs> Was he born blind? Because now he can see. And his parents, like, don't want to get into it um, because they're scared. They don't want to be persecuted. But the son is just so brave. And he's like, I'll tell you who did it. Like, Jesus did it. Like, this prophet did it. Um, and just his bravery and speaking the truth, even, even when that society that ostracized him is, again, like, pushing against him for speaking the truth. I find that really brave. But... One of the things, and when I first started noticing this verse a few years ago, it freaked, it, it weirded me out, right? It's kind of weird. I'll, I'll read it. Um, all right. Jesus says he's the lion of the world, of course. Uh, <laughs> basic Jesus. Um, when he had said this, Jesus, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. You're hearing that correctly. And spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And then he goes back, and you can see, and yeah, it's all great. Um, but to me, I, as a person, you know, I'm, I'm diagnosed with OCD. I don't like spit. I don't like spit. I don't like it. Um, when it talks about Jesus, like, breathing the Holy Spirit on them, I don't do that. Like, I'm, I'm not about that. <laughs> um. But, but I also, but now it makes me think about the embodiedness of this story and the way that, like, the mud and Jesus and the touching with the hands, like, just the embodiedness of our world and how that embodiedness matters to God about how, yeah, just how our bodies matter. And even just thinking, like, Jesus had spit. You know, and that wasn't something to Jesus that he externalized. That was something that he's like, no, like this is a part of me and this is a part of my ministry in the world. Um, I find that really beautiful. Um, thank you. Yeah, Brooke, that's that's awesome. There's there's so much there. You also had like a very long, long thing and you covered so many awesome things. I uh, I just I, I'm just stuck on literally what you mentioned at the end, the, this metaphor of or oh, I'm what I'm going to refer to as a metaphor, which is Jesus like spitting on the ground, making mud, and then like 
wiping that on his eyes, uses using that for a miracle. Cause I'm just thinking about the connotations of like, you know, like just this act of spitting, like that, especially in biblical times, like you spitting on somebody to like kind of uh, create that sort of like you're lesser than like spitting, looking down on. And then like, also like wash, you know, we wash people's feet. We wash the mud off their feet. That's like, also like there's kind of these like hierarchical uh, ramifications or implications based off of those things. And Jesus uses two of them to like make this miracle happen. He like spits on the ground, takes mud, wipes it on his eyes. And I feel like that in context with the, the ostrac the ostracizing of the blind man is a very powerful image because I, I almost feel like you could interpret that as like, God's like recreating those actions, the actions of like spitting down on somebody and like taking mud. And then he's recontextualizing it and saying like, if you had any sort of good intention in your heart, then your actions could be miracles. Like your actions could have this like super powerful impact. Um, but instead your actions don't have good intent. So they're just, they're meaningless. They're worthless. So I don't know. I think, I think that's, that's really cool. Honestly, yeah, y'all have both just like given me a lot to a lot to chew on. Um, thank you, Brooke, for that reframing. Like that, I'm really gonna sit with that for a while because I too struggle with some of the kind of imagery that we've been given that can feel very ableist in the Bible and especially in the ways that we've used it. And, um, I too, I'm like, when you were talking about that feeling of like, just existing as you are, as being like, you're crossed a bit, like, I relate to that so heavy. I relate to that feeling of like, being that person that I'm like, you know what, you want to know if this guy's a nice guy, bring me around and you'll find out if that guy's a nice guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, because if that guy's not a nice guy, you'll know. But, um, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. Like, thank you. And also just like, I just keep really thinking about this idea of like the intention and the knowing that Jesus had of like, that this person isn't the problem. It's like Jesus extending relief because Jesus sees that the problem is not in this person. It's in the society and the structures and the systems. Ah, beautiful. Um, I, I, that, words these are words um i just want to acknowledge like the beauty in some of what you said just like the different communities implications that you know the the all the things i can't get these the thoughts out right now um and i think just i'm gonna need a while to process that like nine business days and then i'll know more and this episode won't be recording then but then i can respond to it better Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is awesome. This is so cool. This was, I feel like this was a bomb episode and Derek's not here, which I think not that like we need Derek to make a bomb episode. Clearly we don't, but I just want to draw attention to that, that like this, was, this was fire y'all. Um, Brooke, how do you feel about closing us in prayer? Good. Yeah. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Um, if y'all want to join me in prayer, um, God, thank you so much for bringing us together. I love all the people <laughs> here, um, but thank you so much for bringing us together, God. And I ask that whoever is listening, and even as we walk away from this conversation, that we'll, we'll take 
with us the thing that you want us to take from it, um, that our hearts might be filled, God. I especially want to pray, God, that people who are listening and all of us here um, who are looking for community, who are looking for connection, who are looking for people who will go deep with them and speak the truth with them and give them a place that helps them feel like their light and gives them strength to go on and, and keep shining um, that they find that they find that community that you intend for them um, thank you so much God and I hope you keep everyone safe and um, I hope you're having a good day in your name we pray amen uh, this has been the fourth episode of the Lenten series that Studio Annex is currently going through. Uh, until next time, bye. Okay.